Uh, If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in John chapter 7. Uh, We're going to be looking at verses uh, 25 through 31. And over the last four weeks, we have been in uh, John chapter 7, um, in this chapter of John's gospel, and this actually today marks 42 weeks that we've now been in this series together. And in this chapter, what we have seen, whether you've missed a few weeks or just a, a helpful reminder, we have seen in this chapter where Jesus is explaining. He explained privately first to his brothers, and then he explained publicly to the people in the temple what, what he is doing, who he is, what he is about. <clears throat> and then because of their own wrong view and their own wrong motivation, he then exposes and confronts them about these things. And last week, we really ended by seeing that Jesus was telling them to judge rightly, not to avoid judging, but to actually judge in a right way, which is something that they were not doing. They were not judging rightly when it came to Jesus. And so see, Jesus said this because he's seeking to show them that he is perfect righteousness, And so now there is this division among this group. There is a growing issue that we find in the text today. And really, it's the question that we all have to answer. It's, are we going to believe what others think of Jesus? Are we going to believe what we think about Jesus? Or are we going to believe what Jesus actually says about himself? And see, that is the main issue, not only in our text today, but really that is the main focus and theme in the entire gospel letter of John. It's the question of who is Jesus and is he the Christ? See, John is writing to his readers to really show them truly who Jesus is and to point them to the truth in God's word that they may believe. In fact, if you don't know that, that's the exact words of John in chapter 20, verse 31. Really, as he explains what the theme is, he says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. But see, John knows, and I know this morning, that we can't just start with that question, do you believe? And they go, okay, great, man, you believe these things? Let's go, let's go on. See, we need to understand who Jesus really is. And all of us, whatever we believe, have to really answer the question, who is Jesus and is he the Christ? See, in our text this morning, we are going to find several groups that we've been dealing with that are confronted with ideas and opinions about the answer of who Jesus is. So really, this morning, as we go to uh, unpack our text, what we're going to learn and really seek to apply in our expositional outline is that in the midst of confusion and conflict, Jesus proclaims who he really is that we may believe in him. If you're taking notes this morning, those are your fill-in-the-blanks, that in the midst of confusion and conflict, Jesus proclaims who he really is, that we may believe in him. And so we're going to read in John chapter 7, starting in verse 25. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is, speaking openly. And they say nothing to him. 
Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. I know him for I come from him and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that this morning we do not gather to hear the opinions of pastors or elders or teachers but to hear your word. God, I pray that we would come to know the truth of what your word actually says. That it is living and active. That it is true. And so God, in this time, I pray that as we are confronted with the question of who Jesus is, that we would examine ourselves honestly and genuinely that we would really consider what we believe and look upon your word and seek what Jesus says about himself. Not what we think or what others think, but what Jesus says about himself. And so God, we thank you for the truth of your word. And we ask that as we seek to unpack it and and apply it, that God, you would uh, convict us and that you would point us more and more toward Jesus. And so it's in his perfect and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we begin in our text today, right at the beginning of verse 25, we are presented with a question. And I don't know about you, but I really, I love questions. I love when people ask questions. I love when you ask questions and we get to dialogue. But there is, is, there's a fine line between asking questions and uh, presenting a line of questioning. And so really, the people are fleshing out what they think about Jesus. And it says some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, is not this the man whom they seek to kill? See, they're asking this question because there is much confusion and conflict around who Jesus really is. If you remember, Jesus had just exposed their double standard living, where they are not following the law but they are holding him to its standard. And as Jesus has continually pointed out, both in the people's, the common people's sin and the religious leaders' sin and poor leadership and lack of following the law, he's exposing a great hypocrisy. And see, we learn from both verse 1 and verse 19 that the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus because of what he was saying and what he stood for. But despite Jesus' exposure of their hypocrisy, the Jewish leaders were now hesitating. They were hesitating to take action against Jesus. And why? Why were they hesitating? They were so fiercely after killing him. It's really that they were fearful of the public reaction. And isn't that interesting? If we remember from uh, verse 13, we learn that for fear of the Jews, the, the Jewish leaders... No one spoke openly of him, of Jesus. But now, as we see at the beginning of verse 26, they're starting to question. 
And they say, and here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. So in the midst of the confusion and the conflict, what is the driving pressure behind their view of Jesus? Why are the religious leaders now not doing anything? Ultimately, it's the fear of man. It's their own fear of man. But why is that a problem? Why is it a problem that they are now hesitating because of their fear of man? See, ultimately, it's because a toxic fear of man, a toxic fear of others, is really ultimately a replacement or a rejection of a healthy fear of God. Because when we place the opinions and the comments and the views of what others might think above God and his word and what he says is true, then sadly, there is no true fear or reverence of God. And see, if that is true, then who and what we fear is not informed by the gospel and who Jesus is. In fact, our fear then is of the gospel and of Jesus and how other people might be offended or divided over him. But see, this is exactly what we're finding in the text. That now the religious leaders and the, and the common people have completely switched places. That we began in our text with the people having different opinions about Jesus, but not saying anything, as we saw in verse 13, because of their fear for what the religious leaders might think. And now we're seeing that the common people begin to question their own leaders. Because first their motivation was hatred and they wanted to kill Jesus, and now it's fear for what they might think. See, this is what has sparked the people's many questions. And so as we continue on, we find this deeper reason as to why these religious leaders are hesitating. In fact, we find this in the second half of verse 26 as the people further question why the religious leaders are not seeking now to kill Jesus. They asked, can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? See, this is why I said earlier at the beginning of our time that all of us are confronted with this question. Is Jesus really the Christ? See, here in this text, they are seeing the consistency of Jesus and the inconsistency of the religious leaders. And this is causing them to openly speculate and to really wonder, is this Jesus really the Christ? Is this Jesus the person who we've long awaited, long expected? Now, as it is considered, if he really is that one that they've awaited and we see this language of, is Jesus really the Christ? Isn't that just Jesus' last name? See, that's a common misconception that many think, but no, Christ is not Jesus's last name. See, the name Jesus is derived from the Hebrew. It's kind of a two-part name of Yeshua and Joshua. And Joshua is made up of two parts, Yah, which is short for Yahweh, and Hosea, which means salvation. And so even as we see Mary and Joseph give their little baby the name Jesus, this name means Yahweh saves, or Jehovah is salvation. And so Jesus is his human name given to Mary, which we find in Luke chapter one, by the angel Gabriel. And then look at the name Christ. 
So we see that Jesus is his earthly name given, which means Yahweh saves, Jehovah is salvation. And then look at the name Christ. See, Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, meaning anointed one or chosen one. And this is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew for Messiah. So Christ is Jesus's title, signifying Jesus was sent from God to be king and deliverer, to be the long expected and awaited Messiah. And so then Jesus Christ means Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the anointed one. And so church, this is why it's so important to ask ourselves, what am I believing about Jesus? Do I just think he's a great earthly teacher with a, with a really fun last name? Or do I understand that he is from God the Father, sent by him, God in the flesh, who is the coming long-awaited and expected Messiah? What am I believing about Jesus Christ? See, here, this is what the, be, the people are beginning to ask and, and what questions they are thinking on. Can this Jesus be the Christ, the long-awaited, expected Messiah? But see, further here, they are challenged with their own tradition and their own information. Because in the very next verse, 27, we do not find a confession, but we find further confusion. See, we find that they say, but we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. See, isn't it fascinating that they begin in their assessment by saying, we know. We know. And even today, there are some very intelligent people who claim they know, and yet they do not know. So see, in the text, the people are openly speculating that Jesus was the Messiah. He was potentially the coming Christ, but they're finding a problem. Because Jesus' origins were known. See, the people knew Jesus was from Galilee, whereas the Messiah was to be a native of Bethlehem. Or according to some traditions that some of the rabbis would teach in their own doctrine, was that the Messiah would come from unknown origins. And so the problem they're ultimately faced with in this is that Jesus seemed to fit their idea of who the Christ was, and yet... He didn't seem to fit the criteria of their tradition and of their knowledge. And church, this is even a major issue that many face today. Because really the question is, what is going to define the truth? What is going to define what we know? I mean, really what I mean is, what is the standard for determining what we know and what we believe? See, in the text... It's the people's own tradition and their own knowledge of Jesus' origin and his physical place of birth. And so here, there's this great confusion and conflict. And yet, the need is to have a definition of truth that does not come from a bias or basis of ourselves, but based on the very word of God spoken by Christ. And so this is why Jesus opens his mouth to proclaim and to instruct. In fact, in verse 28, it says, so Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. 
He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. See, in this verse, Jesus is setting the record straight. That they may know where he comes from, but they do not really know him and who he is sent by. And this is because they are making assumptions about Jesus based on their own ideas and, as we've seen, based on their own traditions. And so Jesus is experiencing something here that I would, I would imagine many have even experienced, not to the extreme as Jesus, but many have experienced when teaching the truth of the word. I mean, maybe you've experienced something like this when you have taught something. I mean, where you were misunderstood or people made assumptions about what you were saying. And when they didn't really know you, they made an assumption about you and your teaching. I mean, maybe you have felt, if you've ever tried to teach, that when you finished a lesson, when you finished that lesson, knowing that you have spent a great deal of time on it, you've researched the the problem, whatever it may be, you thought very intentionally about that teaching, and you taught it as clearly as you believe it could be taught. And yet when the teaching is over and everybody begins to leave, you have someone who will come forward and they ask a question. And by that very question, you know they missed the whole point of the lesson. See, maybe you've encountered that in some form of teaching. And see, in that, the tendency of the hearer is for them to come up and say, well, they just didn't communicate it very well. They could have communicated it differently. This is how my communication style is. Here's how I would have heard it. But church, that isn't the case here. Because no one ever communicated any better than Jesus. Jesus is not just an amazing teacher. He is a divine teacher. And so no one ever spoke more plainly and clearly and to the point than Jesus. But also, I would, I would reason that no one probably ever had such extreme responses as Jesus got. Because many who heard him at different times would say, I don't understand what he's talking about. I don't understand what he's saying. I mean, remember, this is something we, in fact, learned of Jesus' own disciples in John chapter 6, in verse 60, when they said, this is a hard saying. This is a hard teaching. Who can listen to it? See, this is a common issue with Jesus' hearers. And this is what is happening in the text. That they claim that they know Jesus and they know where he comes from physically and geographically. But when he teaches, they don't know him rightly. See, we learned this earlier in John 6 verse 42. When the people in their confusion about Jesus say, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? See, ultimately, church, the issue in both John chapter 6 and John chapter 7 is that the people do not really know Jesus divinely. And really, we'll even see this later in the chapter as they question themselves that there creates this division among them about their understanding of where the Christ actually comes from. But see here, Jesus is pointing them to his most important origin. 
that he acknowledges that they knew him and where he came from physically, and yet they didn't know who sent him and why. And that was most important. See, Bethlehem and Galilee are not Jesus's ultimate point of origin. He had come from the Father. And so here, the people needed to consider his teaching rather than his earthly family tree. And so this is why Jesus tells them in in verse 28, but I have not come of my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. See, in this verse, Jesus is clearly pointing them to the fact that he is the Christ, that he is sent by the one true God. And yet, at the end of the verse, he says, him you do not know. See, the people are so focused on what they think they know about Jesus, but he is exposing that at their very core, they do not know the father that sent the son. See, Jesus is stating that the Jews did not actually know God in a relational way. They did not know the truths about God. And this probably shocked them since the Jews really prided themselves on knowing God, on having a unique and special relationship with God in contrast to the Gentiles who worshiped many other false gods. But really, that doesn't mean that Jesus tells them you know him. He's saying, you, you do not know him. But what does Jesus mean when he tells them, you both know me and know where I come from? See, this seems odd because we learn later in John chapter 8, verse 19, when he tells them, you know neither me nor my father. And if you knew me, you would know my father also. So what does Jesus mean when he tells them that they both know him and where he is from, but they do not know him or the Father? This seems interesting. And see, it's that Jesus is showing them the inconsistency and the issue in their own knowledge. That they know that he is physically from Nazareth. They know his relatives according to the flesh, but they still really do not know him at all as evidenced by the fact that they don't know God. And so ultimately, they don't know anything about his divine nature and his unity with the Father. And so here, Jesus is testifying to the truth of who he is. And he's showing us that to know him rightly, to know Jesus rightly, we must understand and believe his testimony So we must know more than than what other people say about him. We need to actually listen to what he says about himself. And so do you hear that warning in the text? That really, if we won't hear from the one whom God sent, who is it that we are going to hear? See, church, we desperately need to hear this warning. That when we hear Jesus' teaching, When we open our Bibles and we listen to the very word of God, we need to take them to heart and really ask, what do I really know and who am I ultimately listening to? See, 
Church, so many today are searching in life and in religion for this audible voice of God or for a divine revelation that is going to speak to them and direct them. And all the while in doing these things, they're missing Christ. They're missing Jesus. They're looking over the words of Christ, the instruction of God in the flesh and going, I just want something beyond the word. I just want something that's gonna speak to me. But let me ask you, are you wanting to hear the audible voice of God? Are, are, you, are you then looking for a revelation for today? Is that you? Because I can give you the answer of how to find it. Read the Bible out loud. It's that simple. The Bible is the perfect revelation of God. And so church, we need to open our Bibles and even respond like Samuel in the Old Testament when he says, speak for your servant hears. See, the people here are openly speculating that Jesus was the Messiah, but they have yet to believe in him as Lord and Savior. And this is the the major issue. It's not that they believe, but they have questions. And so listen to this, dear friends, do not doubt your faith by the text if you have truly believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing wrong with questions. The one who should doubt is the one who hears the words of Jesus and questions if he is the Christ. That's a key difference. And so understand, Jesus is pointing his hearers and he is pointing us today in this to who he really is and his relationship to God the Father. But see, Jesus doesn't walk away after saying this. You know me, but you don't know me. He he doesn't just walk away. He continues to speak the truth. See, in verse 29, he tells them, I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. See, I think that's profound. That's absolutely profound profound. You have intimacy in that. I know him. You have relationship in that, for I come from him. And he sent me. You have servanthood. See, Jesus had a unique and close relationship and knowledge of the Father because he is one with the Father. See, this is because Jesus has existed with the Father from all eternity. Jesus isn't someone who just came into existence at his physical birth. Don't let anybody ever tell you that, that Jesus was created. Jesus existed and has existed with the Father from all eternity. And so as we come to know Jesus, he alone can uniquely reveal the Father to us. That's important. In fact, this is what Jesus tells us in Luke 10. In verse 22, he says, all things have been handed over to me by my father. And no one knows who the son is except the father or who the father is except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. See church, the only way we can know the father is through the son when the son chooses to reveal him to us. So let me ask, is that something you are asking for, something you are seeking, that Jesus would reveal the Father to you, that you might know him more deeply? Is that your aim in life? 
then really cry out to Jesus and say, Lord, reveal yourself to me so that I may know you. See, church, this knowledge of God is not just so that we can have a a, a safe personal relationship with Jesus. Not a moving along and kind of doing a a, a shallow devotional every time with Jesus and going, you're good, I'm, I'm great, let's move on. But actually knowing God will change you so that you become more like him. See, that's not a byproduct of salvation. It is actually the evidence of salvation in a regenerated soul. And so while there are many confused opinions about who Jesus is, we need to believe the truth, this truth about him, which we have in Jesus' own testimony about himself. And so what that means is that we can only know God through faith in Jesus Christ. See, in that, some will receive him as Lord and Savior. They will see the holiness of God and their absolute, incapable ability to be holy. And they will look at Christ, the perfect servant, and say, I would long to receive him, to cry out to him, you are Lord of my life but not all. See, others will reject him and say he's a demonic false teacher who must be killed. See, this is what we find in the final two verses of our text today, this comparison. See, in verse 30, John writes, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. See, church, I think one of the things that is simply profound about verse 30 is that even evil men cannot thwart the sovereign will of God. And if you think they can, I would urge you to really study this text and study the Gospels. See, the many plots against Christ's life cannot succeed until God's own time has come. So see, God is not removing Jesus from evil men, but he is working out his plan and working out his will in his own timing. Because as the text says, Jesus' hour had not yet come. See, in one of the the commentaries on this from one of uh, a long time ago uh, commentator, he said, against all their violence and furious attacks... Christ was guarded by the protection of God. And at the same time, he will meet the offense of the cross. And in that, we have no reason to be alarmed when we learn that Christ was dragged to death because it was not through the urge or the will of man, but because he was destined for such a sacrifice by the decree of the Father. So church, in this verse, we should conclude that although we live day to day and we make uh, decisions at times and we plan our, our own way, still the time of every one of us and our death is fixed by God. Now, really, it is difficult to grasp that while we are in the midst of, uh, of being subject to many accidents and difficulties and errors and while 
We are exposed to many attacks and we're vulnerable to many diseases as we're all here this morning sick in one way or another, having been or, or we're just not there yet. But none of that surprises God. And so know this, that for those who are in Christ Jesus, we are secure and safe. Not from hardship and suffering, but from destruction beyond the grasp and the will of God. And so although we may face hardship, although we may face difficulty and we make plans of our own and we carve out our own days, it is a comforting reminder that no matter what may happen, the sovereign God of the Bible has drawn and is drawing those who are his to himself through the person of Jesus Christ, who was nailed to a cross who suffered and died and rose again, all by the decree of the Father. And so really, as we look upon Christ's life, decreed by the Father, consider that question. Who is Jesus and is he the Christ? See, in verse 31, John writes in the final verse of our text today, yet many of the people believed in him. And they said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? See, in comparison to the previous verse of those that are seeking to arrest Jesus and knowing that they're doing this by the instruction of those that want to kill Jesus, This verse, our ending verse, seems to start with an an exciting direction from the last, where John writes, yet in the midst of man's evil intention, many of the people believed in him. But see, then, then, then this question comes up by the people at the end of verse 31, which is very intriguing, where they say, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? See, at first glance, it seems that they believe, and yet they still are considering who who might come that would do greater things. See, remember, we began by looking at the confusion and the conflict of who they think Jesus is and why the religious leaders really ultimately want to kill him. And now John writes that many of the people believed in him. And so here's what I want us to understand as we look at this text. Really, you and I do not have full knowledge of what kind of belief this is. See, commentators are actually very uh, divided among to what level does this belief mean, and many would tie it back to John chapter 2. And really, in you and I not knowing what kind of belief this is, that is a fact about all belief but some is more clear. And so with some that believe, we see the the fruit of their faith and we know that Christ is in them. But here it seems that that there's a change of direction, a, a change of opinion, a change of questions, but still we don't see fully and fully knowing what is in them. But Jesus does. So with that, what we need to understand is that it's easy for us to just examine the faith of others and to say, man, that person looks like they're a Christ follower. 
Their, their faith is good and strong, and it seems that they gave up sin so quickly, so then, yes, they must be saved. But what do you do with the one who inches along, who really struggles every step of the way? What do you do with the one who says, I believe, but we've yet to see that really flushed out? See, church, it's that ultimately you and I are not the ultimate judge of what true belief is. You and I are to encourage and exhort and point them to Christ again and again and again, where we faithfully and continually preach the truth of the gospel to them. Because as Paul would say, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And so remember, church, only God knows, only God gives, and only God draws. And so where we see true belief, we celebrate, even when it is of the smallest amount of faith. But see, what I want to conclude on this morning is not a continual examination of the belief of those in the text. I I don't want to do a deeper exposition of if their faith is this or that, but that this morning we would do a deeper exposition in our own hearts. See, really, the question is, on what basis do you know Jesus? What claims do you make about Jesus? And are you believing in him? I mean, really, what are you doing with Jesus right now? Are you believing upon him as Lord and Savior? See, church, what I believe is that how you see and understand who Jesus is is going to directly affect everything else in your life. It is going to affect how you then see yourself, how you see the world around you, and it will either point you toward or away from living a life fully alive in Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, I've told you this before, and if it feels repetitive, it's because it's that important. See, in order for us to know Jesus rightly and to look to him as our Lord and Savior, we need to understand who he is and what he has done for us. And that really means more than just knowing a lot about him. Because even in in the text at the beginning this morning, the people claim to know a lot about him and where he comes from, but not all really knew him. And see, this is not an issue back then. This is an issue that comes up again and again today. And so let me tell you, if you do not know this, the Bible is very clear about who Jesus is, that Jesus is the son of God. God come in the flesh, the true savior and Lord. He is the sacrificial lamb of God who died on a bloody cross, beaten and bruised for our transgressions and raised to life by the will and decree of God the Father. And so who saves? He alone saves. Who calls? He alone calls and reveals. And in that, what that means to truly follow him is that he calls us to a radical and sacrificial and even at times painful discipleship. And so let me tell you, if you are someone here today 
and you are not believing upon Jesus Christ and you are looking to other things or other people or, or really ultimately you are your own savior, that you just think it's all going to work out in the end and you're going to do what you want or you are your own person who is the ultimate authority or your Jesus is even some history person but not God in the flesh, then really what that means is you are not only without a savior, but you are also ultimately lost without hope. But see, here's what we find, even in the small measure of belief of those in the text. It's that for those who see their great need for a savior, they have a great savior for their need. Remember, as we learned earlier, while there are many confused opinions about who Jesus is, true belief comes from trusting in what Jesus says about himself, which we have in his own testimony in the word of God. And so this morning, as we come to a close in our time, I encourage you to ask, am I trusting in Jesus Christ? Not, not am I thinking all these things, am I, am I consistent with these opinions or these opinions, but am I trusting in Jesus Christ? As in, is he Lord of your life or is he just some neat addition to how you live? Are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Let's pray.